0: Thank you, Jim. So it's really nice to be here. I haven't been to your sangha in person in three years. And I came right before COVID was dictating what was taking place. So it's really nice to be back. So what I wanted to talk about tonight is forgiveness. And... I got really interested in this topic due to uh, an incident that took place, which I'm going to go into. But I was also for a long time inspired by forgiveness, really from a Christian perspective. And do you remember the, probably most of you don't, you're not old enough, but, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. It was a huge big deal to not just punish but to allow people who had suffered so much loss uh, to come before the people who caused that loss and to say their truth. And then the commission would determine if that person would get amnesty or if they would be imprisoned. And there was one woman And I remember reading this story and just being astounded. Uh, An elderly uh, black woman, she was 70 years old. I'm 75, so I don't appreciate the elderly, but that's how she was described. And uh, she... uh, The judge mentioned what had happened to her. Uh, First, uh, a constable came and took her son away saying that he was uh, a radical and you know anti-apartheid and they killed him and then they took her husband away and did the same thing and so she was left alone and she's now at this uh, truth and reconciliation commission and they said the guy the constable was named uh, Derbeck. And they said, what would you like done with Constable Derbeck? And she said, he robbed me of the people I loved most in the world. And so what I want to do now is adopt him as my son. I want him to come to Sunday dinner so I have someone to cook to. I want him to take me to the grave of my husband so I can give him a proper burial. And I want him to know I forgive him. I was just blown away when I read this, how somebody could manage this, uh, this attitude. And so I thought, boy, that's almost, I, I don't know if I could ever do anything like that if something had happened to me along that line. And
1: um, when I was in prison,
0: I met a, a young man who had been imprisoned since he was 16 years old. His name is Eddie Paragas, and I can say his name and tell you a story because he's given me permission to, and I've told it before. And uh, Eddie uh, came to this country from the Philippines, didn't speak any English. He came, I think, as a 12 or 13 year old, and uh, his father was an alcoholic, and his mother was supporting, I believe, seven kids, you know, with all her jobs. So he didn't get a whole lot of attention, and uh, he joined a gang, you know, which is, you know, when you do prison work, that's pretty typical, you know, when family is really not available. Due to a variety of circumstances, so he joined a gang and one of the initiation situations was he had to shoot a rival gang member, which he did, an Asian gang member. And so Eddie, at 16 years old, was sentenced to life imprisonment. So he went to prison and he said for 10 years, he just didn't even consider what he had done. It just didn't, it just didn't compute to him. And he said one day he just woke up and he realized the gravity of what he had done. He had taken a life. And so he um, decided he had to do something about that. And what he decided to do was he was going to live this person's life for them. His victim was Buddhist, so Eddie became a Buddhist. His family was Catholic, but he became a Buddhist. His victim had been going to a temple in Southern California, so he began, he he started tithing to that temple, whatever money he made in prison. He was known in our sangha, in our prison sangha, as Baby Buddha, because <laughs> he was just so kind and so compassionate and was mentoring these other guys. And one day he asked me if I would speak to him privately. So we went into the chaplain's office and he said, you know, I've done everything I can to undo the harm I've done. I know I can never undo it, but I don't know what else to do to get his family to forgive me.
1: what should i do he asked me
0: and honestly i didn't know and i i said you know eddie you have been doing everything you can to change your life you are a good person a person you know who is compassionate and kind i don't know what else you can do and he said well i've got to find out how to make them forgive me A few weeks later i went on a uh i think it was a 10-day retreat with uh pico and i don't know if any of you have heard of him but he's a really well-known theravadan monk he speaks seven or eight languages including sanskrit tibetan and chinese and he studies the ancient writings to see which ones are accurate and he, he does that through, you've heard of him, through agama translation, the Chinese uh, agamas, uh, the Pali translation, Tibetan translation, Sanskrit, and then he throws out things that don't all jive and said somebody's making something up. Anyway, he, and he's also quite a meditator. Uh, so I went to him with Eddie's situation, and I explained briefly what I just told you, and I said, so how... Does Eddie get this family to forgive him? And he said very directly and pointedly, "Forgiveness is a Christian concept; it's not a Buddhist one." And I was frankly surprised. You know, when I teach Metta, when I teach the Brahma Viharas, I I had been always including Jack Cornfield's Um, meditation on forgiveness. Forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others, and asking forgiveness. So I, I was doubly confused. You know, not a Buddhist concept, huh? And he said, no one can forgive someone of their karma. What he has done, what Eddie has done, is appropriate. But it's not for him to say he wants the family
1: to forgive him because that's their karma.
0: So I, uh, when I got back, I, I wrote to Gil, Franztel, my teacher, and uh, Gil wrote back to me, and here's what he said. I agree with Annalya who told you about the absence in Theravadan Buddhism and the suttas of forgiveness as we often know it in the West. Part of the difference is that forgiveness is an important concern in theistic religions where God's forgiveness is crucial. For karmic religions, no one can forgive you of your karma. Buddhists come to a very similar healing, however, of social relationships through the combination of letting go of anger, resentment, cultivating metta and karuna, understanding and seeking reconciliation. I think it is okay for Buddhists to use the word forgiveness, but define it through these four processes. So that's what I told Eddie. <coughs> Excuse me. And you know, I think he was relieved because he had been trying so hard to find a way to get uh, the family of his victim to forgive him that he could finally let go of that. As we discussed, you know, they might never let go of that anger, but that's not your problem. That's what they have to live with. You keep doing what you're doing. (coughs) Excuse me. I got something in my throat. So in Buddhist practice we cannot forgive someone else's karma. That's a lesson I learned. Um, We can, however, clear our minds of the negativity of when we have been in a situation where we have caused harm or someone has caused harm to us. How, (coughs) How do we release that? I apologize. I don't know. (laughs) I think it's allergies. (laughs) Just going to leave that open. So Saraputa was the excuse me the Buddha's right hand man. Mungalana and Saraputa. And Sariputta was enlightened, he was compassionate, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And even in the Sangha, some of the other monks were jealous of him. And one monk in particular didn't like him because the Buddha obviously loved him and put so much into uh, Sariputta's development. So... This particular monk went around and told stories about him, really bad stories, made-up stuff. And Saraputta heard about this, and the Buddha said, well, what are you going to do? And
1: Saraputta said, I am like the earth.
0: Everything goes into the earth, and the earth does not respond, and I'm like that too. I have no negative feelings toward this person. He is obviously confused. And the Buddha said, yes, that's absolutely right. So there appears to be a big difference between forgiveness and Saraputa said he would pardon this guy. Difference between forgiveness and pardon. So It appears forgiveness apparently absolves you of the act as if it never took place. And pardon acknowledges the act, but the person who was hurt through word or deed will not bring it up again or seek revenge. That's the difference. So in Buddhist practice, in most of the sutras, you'll hear the word pardon rather than forgiveness, letting it go not holding on to this negative state of mind. I went on another retreat, a monastic retreat with uh, a monk, Ajahn Suchito, who is the abbot at Omravati in England. <clears throat> and on this retreat, I asked the question that a lot of people in prison ask, how do I clear my karma? That's a huge topic in prison. Am I going to burn in hell? What's going to happen to me? How do I clear this up? So I asked Ajahn Suchito, what did he say? And he said, there are five steps for dealing with remorse for unskillful actions. And here's what he told me. First of all, admit the wrong you did fully and completely without excuses. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I admit a wrong, I did. But, you know, if that person hadn't done this or that, I probably wouldn't have done it. Ajahn Suchita said, no, you admit completely your complicity in whatever took place. And second is you understand completely the emotion that was present when that act, that unskillful act took place. That was a hard one in prison where you know emotions you're not supposed to talk about emotions you don't recognize them you're a man you're a this you're that but you're not emotional so yeah recognizing what was the emotion that took place was it jealousy was it anger and then you look for the
1: antidote so most of the
0: uh Antidotes, I found, are in the Brahma Viharas: So, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and upeka, Loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. So you find that, and that's what you work on. And then you form a firm intention that act will never happen again. No matter what, it will never happen again. When that emotion arises again, you've got your antidote and it can't happen again. And if appropriate, apologize to the victim. This was difficult in prison because most victims didn't want to hear an apology. But that's okay. It's what you are doing and your remorse. That is the important thing and taking care of these steps. So when I was talking about Saraputta saying I'm like the earth the Pali word for forgiveness comma, K-H-A-M-A also means the earth interesting close to karma so a mind like the earth is not perturbed it is not upset when you forgive me for something it means you will not retaliate that action stops here that negative karma stops here with me i am not going to perpetuate that i teach a, a year to live class we're in our this will be the fifth time i've taught it and we're in our fourth month and forgiveness has been a a big topic at this time and in this class Acting like we only have a year left to live, the question is, who do you need to forgive and who needs to
1: forgive you?
0: That's something you might ask yourselves, too, because none of us know how long we are going to live. Is there somebody in your life
1: that you need to forgive? Or is somebody that you need forgiveness from.
0: About four years ago, I was asked as a chaplain to um, visit a family in Roseville. And the uh, the man, his name was Jim, uh, was interested in Buddhism. He was a book Buddhist, read all the books, didn't meditate, though. but he wanted a Buddhist chaplain with him as he was dying of lung cancer. So I, I was there, I'd never met him. We had a wonderful talk. And uh I said to him, Okay, Jim, you know, you're on you're in hospice now. Just as I've pointed out to you, is there anybody in your life that needs forgiveness? Or do you need uh someone to forgive you, or do you need uh, forgiveness yourself and he said no 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 everything's
1: cool i'm fine okay
0: so i left and his wife called me the next morning and he had died and she said would you uh perform the uh or be in charge of the memorial service the funeral he he was going to um be buried and uh, they just wanted a a memorial service and i said sure so uh i think it was about a week later it was at their house it was small and his son was flying in from virginia his daughter was there and his wife and family members and then his son came and i spoke to the son and the daughter and the wife and i said i'm going to ask you all to say something about your dad your husband and the son said you're not going to want to hear what i have to say
1: i said okay
0: uh do you want to say anything and he said i don't think you're going to want to hear what i have to say i said okay well for your sister and your mom's sake then let's not include you in this and then he told me i'm gay and my
1: father never forgave me for that. He hated me.
0: And all I could think of was Jim dying with that state of mind. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh has said, the last thought of this lifetime is the first and the next. Whether you believe in rebirth or not, I don't think you want to have that state of mind. Maybe Jim didn't. Maybe he thought he was so correct and he didn't care about his son. I don't know. But I know I've lived with it. And I am just so sorry that his son didn't
1: get the forgiveness that he should have.
0: He didn't get the apology he should have. I don't know about you, but I did some really stupid things when I was young. Really stupid. And I know sometimes in meditation they come up. And some of the people I was not very nice to are no
1: longer here. So what do you do in a case like that?
0: I wish them well. I send them my apologies. I ask them forgiveness anyway. I don't know if they can hear me, but that's all I can do now. And also release from my mind the negativity
1: I have about myself. And it helps.
0: It helps to do that. In prison a while ago, I've actually not been in prison since uh, COVID. We were locked out for two years and now it's in and out and you never know and Uh, I just haven't been back. But uh, right one of the last times I went in, we were talking about gratitude. And one man said that he's finally able to lay aside many of his defenses and that he's willing to say to another person who he has wronged, I'm sorry. He said that is a huge step for him to actually say, I'm sorry. And you think about it. When we are able to say I'm sorry, I think it's beginning that emptiness that we're all trying to get to beyond self, beyond ego. I'm sorry. It's no longer about me and my ego. It's about you. It's about you and wanting to release you from any sorrow. There was a good article in the New York Times last week. On uh, on this topic, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jarvis Masters. He's on death row at San Quentin. Uh, <clears throat> about six years ago, I hiked the El Camino de Santiago de Compostela. And one of the women on it was a woman, Melody Chavez. She is a investigator and she was investigating whether Jarvis Masters was guilty of killing a guard or not. And she said he absolutely was not. His lawyer says he was not, but the system still has him on death row. He's written a wonderful book called this bird has my wings. Anyway, there was just a story in the New York times. They mentioned Melody Chavez in it and uh, in the story, in the
1: In the article, the author questions,
0: do we even accept people changing? Do we even accept that uh, reconciliation redemption is possible, especially for someone who's in prison?
1: For the most part, we don't. And Jarvis
0: Masters is a prime example of that. Uh, pretty much everyone said he's not guilty, but the authorities will not even consider that he is not a hoodlum any longer, and perhaps he did not kill that guard. From the article, it says, it's not just prisons in the criminal justice system. We as a society seem unequipped to recognize transformations, just as we lack formal processes other than monetary settlements for those who have harmed others to make reparations as part of their repentance or transformation. The Buddha told his son Rahula, the ability to recognize one's mistakes and admit them to others is the essential factor in achieving purity and, thought, word, and deed. indeed. As he said in the Dhammapada, people who recognize their own mistakes and change their ways illuminate the world like the moon when freed from a cloud. And then in the Anguttara Nikaya, which is the numerical verses, these two are fools. Which two? The one who doesn't see his or her transgression as a transgression, and the one who doesn't rightfully pardon another who has confessed his or her transgression. These two are fools. These two are wise. Which two? The one who sees his or her transgression as a transgression and the one who rightfully pardons another who has confessed his transgression. These two are wise. So that's it for my Dharma talk. I usually don't go on beyond 20 minutes or half an hour, because Gil once said, if you can't say it in 20 minutes, it's probably not worth saying. (laughs) So, as I've told my own sangha and my prison sangha, I have learned more from people just relaying their own life experiences and how they handle sometimes very difficult situations. And if any of you have anything that has come up in your life regarding forgiveness or reconciliation, how you handle perhaps a difficult situation, I would, I would love to hear it. I'd love to hear what you've
1: done to forgive, to pardon, and to go on with your life and to clear your own minds. Thank <laughs> you know, Larry. Well, I have a
2: microphone. Wow, it, oh yeah, in the mic stand. Where else would you be? You know, it's funny. As I was, it's not funny. I mean, it's just. Uh, I took note that I hadn't thought, as you were talking, I hadn't thought that there was anyone. You know, maybe like that man you explained who was dying. Maybe he, he actually didn't, it didn't occur to him. But, I, but um, I was rather mean. It wasn't intentional. But on reflection, I realized that I was really mean to the person that probably meant the most to me in my entire life, which is my dad. I got emotional you now, just... Mm-hmm.
1: You know,
2: you know I I didn't know he was dying but uh, actually he 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 was it was uh yet he, he had like uh, Alzheimer's little, little. and uh we got into an argument about something and I felt I was right and he felt he was right and I I just I insisted that he acknowledge acknowledge that You've got your memory wrong about this. I don't. I don't know why it was so important to me to push him, and uh, you know. And then he died, and I never did. Uh, you know. I don't. I don't know if it was ask his forgiveness or apol. Apo- it was more like to apologize mm-hmm. to him for it. But now, what uh, you know? Uh, uh, what about my life and that? incident since, I don't think, um, I mean, it's me that I have to deal with. I don't think it's him anymore. Yes. So, so I, um, I, I, you know, I don't, it doesn't come up except (laughs) when it's right in front of you. And I guess I just, I'm able to forgive myself for things and, you know, and, uh, and let go of it. No matter what a bad, you know, whether it's a, a slight, a little wrong, or a big wrong, wrong, I think, you know, this is our, our practice. Let it go. And so I, I, I can go on, and uh, uh, it doesn't weigh on me. So
1: thank you for your talk. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for your honesty.
0: In our Year to Live class, um, this is just such an Im- important issue because... I'm sure you've heard the negative things that happen in our lives have five times the uh, staying power than the positive things, which is why we have therapists. (laughs) We don't have happy consultants, we have therapists. And as we discuss in the Year to Live class, these might be the last memories that come up unless you've worked with them ahead of time. I don't know. Maybe they won't be, but they might be. And so it should be something that each of us considers and settles within our own minds to the best of our abilities. Make amends. Larry, I totally admit My mother had Alzheimer's. And I regret some of the things I did in just my frustration. And so, yeah, I spend a lot of time apologizing to her uh in my mind, in my meditation, that uh it wasn't her fault the way she acted. It wasn't her. When she had a few lucid moments, she would apologize to me. And then she would revert back to this very angry person. It wasn't her.
1: So yeah. But I wanna clear that up for myself, you know, just like you do, before our lives do come to an end. Yeah. Uh,
3: thank you so much for your talk. That. um and a lot to me because uh, I had something today, actually, that I'd like to share. Um, I had a, uh, a friend who passed away four years ago from uh, organ failure due to diabetes. And to sure. And um, her name is Paula and she was very dear to me. And she declined for about five years before she passed. Uh, she had double amputation, kidney failure. She was very brave through the whole thing. And I tried to be there for her. And I was I was in the hospital a lot with her. I was there at her home when I could. But I also kind of came and went, I think, the way that people sometimes do when they have a friend who's been ill for a long time. And I wasn't as present towards the end of her life as I like to have been I don't even think I fully uh, realized or wanted to realize that she was fading and I wasn't there when she died and I felt so so I was in too much pain to be able to go to her funeral which I really regretted and even visit her grave I didn't even really know where she had been buried um and so that was four years. And I've been thinking a lot about death lately because I've lost some people recently. And I'm taking a class at Sac State on uh, the history of healthcare and death care. And we're in the death care part. So I've been reading a lot of books. And it's just been very present in my life. And so I was thinking about people I'd lost and thinking about her a lot. And last night I found her grave on the Internet. And I was like, okay, well, I know where it is. I should go sometime But this morning I couldn't think of anything else, so I blew off my whole day, my classes, and I drove to Costa County and I went to her grave and I brought flowers and I sat there for a while and I asked her for forgiveness Mm -hmm. and it was one of those strange things. It's you know, it's it's like you're sitting at a gravesite and you're like, and I'm a Buddhist and I don't know if she was Catholic, you know, I don't know if she's somewhere she can hear me and I don't it's like you're sitting there and talking to a granite slab but I I don't know even really like what do I even believe I don't know I'm just talking um and I felt better coming back but I still feel strange but I feel less so now because I pre- really appreciate your talk and I think what you said about karma and what what that they're in Baden, Teacher told you really resonated with me, and regardless of whether or not forgiveness is available or if she's there and she knows, I'm just gonna sit, I'm gonna sit tomorrow for her and see what I can do about um, facing my karmic debt. So
1: thank you very much.
0: Thank you, and I'm sure you. Notice that relief where you are doing something, a ritual, something that helps the mind accept what took place. And it's what you can do right now as a living being. And that is such a relief. So thank you.
1: Yes, it is. Thank you.
4: Well, my case is less grave than that, less weighty. But this is going to be part two of a saga that some of you heard a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> my best friend from college wrote a book about us in college. And my name has changed, but that's pretty much the only thing that's changed. Every single stupid thing I said and did when I was 19 years old is now <laughs> a book. Um, And now a sequel came out, (laughs) and so this one is about our sexual explorations. And I was like, oh, my (laughs) God. Um, (laughs) This week, should I say this? I'm going to regret saying this. But this week, I was like, okay, I'm going to ignore it. But this week, our sexual explorations is the story in the New Yorker, to which I subscribed. I open it up, and it's the first time I had sex. It's in The New Yorker. <laughs> hey, thanks, friend. Um, and you know, my kids read The New Yorker. It's like on my kitchen table, so it's kind of like being outed by someone. you know my name isn't attached to it, but my kids know this, this is my best friend and um you know, she and I are an email contact, so i Kinda of was thinking about what my response should be. And pretty much everyone I tell this story to is like, oh my god, I can't believe she did that to you. That's so unethical, or something like that. You know, like she just because she presents it as fiction, but even letters I wrote to her are produced verbatim in the book, which was shortlisted for the Pulitzer Prize, by the way. Um so it's like staying, it's gonna stay around. But anyway. Um, and I asked the teacher who was here about it. She said to just sit with it, and I sat with it. And what I came to, I realized, why does this bother me? Partially because the way I came ac- come across, which isn't even negative in the world of the book, I'm kind of a positive character, but I feel like I'm pretentious. I'm silly. I'm shallow, I'm conceited. And I'm like, okay, is this true? Did you say these things? Yes. So then it's just your karma coming back around. No one did anything to you. You didn't said these things. And if it's painful to look at it, it's because you didn't said those things. So in the end, I wrote a letter to my friend and I apologized for having been <laughs> such a jackass so much of the time. Instead of writing a mad letter, I wrote, you know, mm. I'm sorry I pretended and said mean things to be cool and if I hurt your feelings when I got to my first boyfriend and didn't have time for you anymore... I honestly am not that person anymore. Maybe I was never that person, but thought it was cool to be that person when I hung out with you for some reason. It really felt like the only way for me to let go of that is to own my part in it, to, like, own my karma. I'm not asking for forgiveness. It's more just like making a clean breast of it. And the rest I can't control, you know? And... Yes, yeah, so I kind of came to the same conclusion. Thank you. It was very profound.
0: Thank you for that. You know, when um, guys in prison and they will often say things like, I'm, I'm just a criminal, I'm just a this, I'm just a that. But you're a new person every single moment. You're a new person right now, right this instant you are not that young silly woman
1: you're not and so
0: to apologize for what you did bravo good for you good for you because that's really letting go of that silly person and now you are the person you are who is willing to apologize i think that's wonderful thank you for sharing that
5: Is it on? It's on. Thank you so much for your talk. You've brought so many wonderful, scary, mysterious things up for me. But something I'd like to share is that there's a component of gratitude in here, in that when I look at the things I've done, and feel remorse about them. Uncannily, the life brings up opportunities for me to do better, to write them. And they don't always come in ways that are the finishing of that sentence, or it's obvious, I did this, so for that person, I had this opportunity. They come up in very mysterious ways, and I am getting more skillful at recognizing those opportunities for what they are and thus having gratitude for them. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
6: Like, like you, uh, I have a lot of things that I look back, especially in my youth, and regret, um, the way I behaved. And, uh, I was very intrigued by, uh, that there was a list of you gave of five practices around pardoning something. And the one that's sticking with me right now is, uh, uh, to, uh, remember the emotion that was present when you were, um when you did that thing. And if you can see, and see if you can remember what that emotion was and, you know, and what did it feel like in your body? What was, what was, what was the whole experience of that emotion? <clears throat> and I, I think as far as a practice, I think that's, it's a really good practice because then if you have, you know, now if if I have some kind of irritation or anger, uh you know, it's it's this, it's it, it may it may not result in uh it may not result in something as egregious as as it was in the past when I was undisciplined, but um it's still something to be, you know, really paying attention to that the arising of that irritation or anger which leads to unskillful action. And being very cognizant about it, remembering how it arose in the past, and what resulted is, is a, uh, I think, uh, a, a key to self-discipline. Yes.
1: And uh, thank you.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Ajahn Sujito's five points. Um, I, there are a lesson in life for me. Uh, just knowing and getting maybe ahead of it before you're acting, knowing anger is present. How does this feel in the body?
1: What can I do to mitigate it right now?
0: And that is really, as, as Ajahn Suchito said, this is clearing your karma. You're not going along with the program, you're taking charge. This is a little off topic. One of my favorite books is by Brad Warner. There is no God and he is always with you. Um, And in it, he goes into just the miracle of now. This point is your freedom point to make a decision on what to do. And knowing what emotion is present, knowing what you do with that emotion, I think, is freedom. Yeah. So he defines, I think, I'm not quite sure because I'm not quite as good at Zen, but I really appreciated it. But it sounds like he's saying God is right this moment, this now, this freedom. That's what's going on. So that's what I got from Majin
1: Suchito too. Anybody else? Oscar.
7: There's um, one thing I regret very much in my life. Um, Years ago, I was in a small sitting group um, convened by a man called Cliff Straley. I don't know if any of you remember him. Anyway... um, One of the men in that group became ill. I think he had a brain tumor and uh, ultimately he was in the hospital and um, he was dying. And I would visit him um, every few days I guess. And the last time and he he deteriorated, he wasn't able to speak. Um, He had he needed assistance breathing um oxygen the last time I saw him I went in the evening as I usually did after work and um he was in a bad way and I stayed with him for a while talked a little bit he couldn't really um answer but he was he was conscious he was alert or aware anyway and um and I went
1: to leave, and I could see in his eyes he didn't want me to leave uh and he He wanted me to stay, and you know I
7: had work the next day and I looked into his eyes uh but I left and uh and he died that night, and I think. I'm guessing he died alone and, uh, he was asking me to stay with him because he knew, um, he was going to pass. And, uh, so I'm struck by also by that advice of, uh, being with the emotion of the, uh, of, of the moment. And I guess, I guess it was just a kind of, uh, an unawareness or a, st- Um, self-centeredness you know my life is the most important thing sticking with my schedule Um, but in retrospect it would have been better to have stayed with him all night uh, and uh, you know rearranged my life a bit at that point so uh, I guess the emotion was just, or I don't know if you call it emotion, but the psychological state was just not really having situational awareness, uh, just being, you know, in my karmic flow um,
1: rather than the reality, the unique reality of the moment. Um, um so
7: uh, this maybe this brings up the subject of self forgiveness
0: absolutely
1: and um i don't know if you've you've spoken about that specifically or not it,
7: um, I've been thinking that um although you know we can't forgive anyone's karma, including our own, maybe. Can't forgive it. Um, um there's a, there's there's this is a little academic, but if you'll bear with me. There's a uh, a chant called uh Hutsu uh Ehe Kosogamnan and by Dogen. And towards the end it says, Quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions because this is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. And the question arises, what what causes and conditions? <laughs> Quietly explore these causes, which causes and conditions? And then immediately after he says, um, confessing and repenting in this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. In what way? He's just talking about something else.
1: He goes, right, and so this always puzzled me. And... Uh, but um, it's
7: like, it occurred to me, oh, what he's saying is that we take responsibility
1: for our karma mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and confess and repent in um, these causes and conditions, all the causes and conditions. Um, so
7: to take full responsibility, even the stuff that really you can't say you were, you know, that that uh, that was just given to you, given to me. But to take responsibility for how
1: I deal with it now. Thank you very much, Diane.
0: Thanks, Oscar. When uh, the year to live class was talking, you know taking on the subject of forgiveness, as you just said, they said the most difficult thing was to forgive themselves. It was comparatively easy to forgive others, but uh you know, I think all of us we look back and some of the things we've done, yeah, why can we forgive others much more easily? We're no different. We deserve forgiveness too. We are not, the. as I tell the guys in prison, you are not defined by the worst thing you have done in your life. You are here right now.
1: This new person. So forgive the old person and you're you now. I happen to be reading today uh, about uh, a counselor in prison, um,
7: not a, a, someone taking care of youthful offenders, serious youthful offenders, and uh, telling them, you're, you, "You know, if I if I could give you ten minutes of your life, you're not that thing you did." If I could just give you ten minutes back of your life, none of you would be here. But that's that's how they're defined by that, those that ten minutes.
0: There's a wonderful man, Jacques Verdun. I don't know if you know him. He started uh, <clears throat> mindfulness in prison. He's he's just a terrific person, and he does this exercise where he will have the men. Figure out
1: how many minutes changed their lives. Life sentence, 10 minutes of just losing it. 10 minutes, 5 minutes. He said, this is our practice. So that never happens again. So forgive yourself. All right, anybody else?
4: You know, I, I also think that's also the Christian thing that sometimes people think they're supposed to suffer. Mm-hmm. Like they think they're supposed to be punishing themselves. Like th- that suffering in feeling guilty is good, but it actually keeps you karmically trapped to that thing. So I think that's where the big reorientation takes place that actually the best thing you can do is to fully own it and fully let it go. And I was thinking it's almost like if you're in a groove, you like decouple, like you take the car out of gear, step back into emptiness, and then you can like pivot and not be in that groove anymore. But you have to identify the groove, like I'm in this groove. I'm going to take myself out, reorient, and put myself somewhere else. But you have to believe that that's the right thing to do as opposed to holding on. And I think it's hard for us to believe that.
0: Well, you said something important too. Ajahn Suchito uh, really emphasized this. He, he said, Guilt is a wasted emotion, remorse is the appropriate emotion because you are owning it and you're going to do something about it. Uh, As far as he was concerned, guilt is just swimming in it and doing nothing and feeling worse and worse and just
4: losing yourself
0: in guilt and not moving forward.
4: It's actually a way my my teacher who passed away used to say it's a form of selfing. Mm. It's a negative form of selfing. But you're saying, I'm this, I'm this, this is what I am, and you're not anything including that. So it's actually like an ego attachment with a negative sign to it, which helps me to understand how important it is to let it go.
1: Thank you.
5: In the prayer of St. Francis, to quote a Christian mystic, which is a beautiful prayer, and I think he may have been a bodhisattva in that lineage, Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. And the very next line is, where there is injury, not forgiveness, pardon. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah.
0: Thank you for that. I, I have two Buddhist friends who are doing St. Francis pilgrimages in uh, Italy. Yeah, because uh, they are so devoted to his message. And his love of all sentient beings. I mean, he was a Buddhist as far as I'm concerned.
1: (laughs) Right, anything else? Yes.
2: I'd just like to say that it seems to me it's a lot better to be remorseful or even guilty than not. (laughs)
0: Well, I think you're, you're right about that. Um, guilt is not a particularly, uh, good situation to be into, but it can lead to remorse. You know, as long as you recognize I'm not doing myself or anybody else any good. Now, what can I do about what took place? But you're right. People who don't have any guilt or remorse
6: sociopaths, frankly. Yeah, I, when I hear somebody say, I don't regret anything in my life, it just sounds so horribly arrogant to me. Yeah. I, I can barely go through a day without thinking of something I could have done a little bit better.
0: Yeah, yeah me too. And back there.
2: It's... Listening
3: to you guys, it's daunting me. I don't think I understand the difference between guilt and remorse. Could you talk a little bit about that? What the difference is?
0: Guilt is uh, a feeling of uh, wishing you hadn't done something, but doing absolutely nothing about it, just swimming in it, constant guilt. Remorse is accepting that you have done uh, not an admirable action to yourself or others, but Now, what can I do about it?
6: The difference is, it's a similar emotion, but this is how you react to that emotion. Would that be the difference?
0: Right. Guilt is, there's no acting. It's just swimming in a pool of, uh, well, I think you said it right, selfing. Pity. Pity for yourself, which is also the far enemy of Karuna. Compassion and, and pity is just, it's a waste. But remorse, yes. How, what, that's where Ajahn Suchito had his five steps. Now what do I do about this? So this doesn't happen again, where I don't harm myself or anyone
2: else. Thank you, you. know, it sounds like the, the Zen, we have vow and repentance. The vow not to yes. eat. Yeah. Well, eat. You know, just sounds like uh, in Zen we have the practice of vow and repentance, which is the commitment not to do it again. Exactly. Which just sounds exactly.
0: Well, like it right is right. exactly the same. Yeah. He just used the word "make the intention." Yeah.
6: Oh, um Mike's running out of power. Um, <laughs> um, uh, what what occurred to me is remorse it, is is uh, you're you're internalizing the pain. That you caused another. That's what you're suffering. You're you you feel the pain that you caused another. You feel that person's the 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 hurt that you caused, and that's that's really guilt's kind of this 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 amorphous thing. But but remorse is 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 really it 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 really what well, like. Uh, Sympathetic—it's not sympathetic joy. It's sympathetic, like you know, suffering. You know, with that other person. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's sympathetic suffering, and so that's why I think it's healthier. Like your
1: teacher you cited said. Yeah. Yeah. So thought that guilt, uh, guilt had to
7: do was in a social context. That uh, this could be wrong, but my sense of it is that mm, you're feeling, oh, that was a bad thing in in other people's eyes, mm. or according to some standard. Um, whereas remorse is internal.
0: Um, that's a that's a I think a, a really good way of I just gave a talk at uh, Sim on. um Kiri and Otapa, which is shame and moral dread. And it's kind of what you're talking about. Uh, And shame is what does the world think of me? Being shamed in front of your peers or a group or something and then feeling guilty. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that.
1: Yeah.
8: Thank you for your talk. I really appreciate it. Um, what came up for me is, um, <clears throat> especially when you brought up the the five ways of dealing with karma, um, and the part about emotion, because for myself, I feel like whenever I'm considering a situation in which I feel like I need forgiveness. More so of that than needing to give somebody forgiveness, maybe I should explore that more, but in feeling like I am remorseful about something i I notice more so that it's when I fully look at the emotion, the body based feelings that are associated with you know whether it be the images that come up, the thoughts running through the mind as you're kind of reliving that situation um At least for myself, that's where I feel like the healing occurs. Um,
1: And and when I'm lost in thought
8: about certain situations that I have regret over or remorse, you know, the thought pattern can kind of almost keep you distracted from the body-based feeling, the Mm -hmm. tightness in your chest, the rapid heartbeat you know, the sweaty palms, all of those things. I'm um, just thinking about mindfulness and how, you know, the first foundation is the body and, and how important that is and, and uh, how you're able to catch emotions in, in, in the body themselves and how much that can release. Um,
0: yeah, the first foundation is the body and the second is bad a feelings. Feelings. You know, and how they register in the body and just imagine if we were so attuned with ourselves knowing that this feeling brings up this emotion. Yeah. Uh yeah. We
1: we would all have much better karma, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: It's nine o'clock. Yeah. I wish <laughs> I'm a glutton for
1: finishing on time.